Hi, and welcome to Emerging Markets Today. My name is Ana Paula Picasso, and this episode we are chatting about the new and exciting businesses in Latin America through the lens of venture capital. We'll talk about innovative startups you might never heard of, and why businesses are choosing countries closer to the US, more specifically Latin America. And also why expats from Latin America choose to start the companies in the US. I'm here with Daniel Loreda, and he's a managing partner at H20 Capital, an early stage venture capital fund with operations in Miami, Mexico, and Colombia. Hi, Daniel. Welcome to Emerging Markets Today. Hi, Ana Paula. Thank you for the time this morning and pleasure to be connected today. Yeah, for me, it's all right afternoon. Where are you calling from right now? I'm calling from, from Miami. That's right. You're in Sweden, I, I recall. That's right. Yeah, that's right. And uh, yeah, you know, I don't have many episodes with VCs. I talk a lot with founders. So I know about funding. I know about the challenges for founders. But it's always good to have the perspective of a VC here. And you guys are based in three different countries, Mexico, Colombia, and in Miami. There's lots of Latin Americans there as well. So it's almost like part of Latin America, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's it's amazing because Miami has become this melting pot of, of cultures and, and innovation. We're based in Miami since... 2018 when H20 was founded. And I actually have been in Miami since 2015. So I was here before Miami became a, a hot tech hub and before all of the New Yorkers and, and, and folks from California moved, moved in. And, and the city has, has transformed into something uh, quite interesting uh, with a lot of cross-border activity. At times, I'm also in Mexico City and in, in Bogota. So I have the opportunity of you know traveling along our, our different uh, operations and and meeting local founders by being three three and a half hours away at at most from from these two other cities. Yeah, yeah, it's the proximity. And I want to talk more about the H twenty capital a little bit later on the episode, your journey. But um, I want to start with your perspective perspective as a VC. You guys focus in startups in Latin America, especially early stage. So when a company approaches you, what do you look for in a company? Yeah, so we're more of a pre-seed and, and seed stage focused investor. We want to be that first institutional check in a cap table and helping our entrepreneurs from, from day zero. So at times we even meet potential founders, you know, years before they become founders and we help them with ideation and and with go-to-market planning and, and then even helping them build their teams and, and launching the product or helping them sign that first commercial customer. So pre-seed and seed as a strategy within the Hispanic US market, what we call Latinx founders in the US and Spanish speaking Latin America covering Mexico, Colombia. Uh, and all the way to Argentina. Regarding verticals, we are more B2B driven. So B2B enterprise software. We also uh, focus on marketplaces and, and fintech. Historically, we've been strong investors in, in marketplaces and, and, and more recently uh, been deep diving into, into software. Yeah, yeah, you mentioned fintech and, and I also mentioned innovation at the beginning, I think, 
uh, one of recurring team here in the podcast and the website as well is innovation in emerging markets. And but I always, I always like to talk about the startups. They don't have the big headlines because it's very easy to see, uh, let's say, a fintech having uh, this big headline on TechCrunch, you know, the next new bank or the next new bank. But I want to go beyond the big headlines where the true innovation is. Things like I, you know, I had a quick look at the H20 website and you mentioned some cases there, some successful startups, and they're not necessarily in the sexy financial services sectors. Can you talk me through some of them? We love to invest in in unsexy businesses, and and we we find them uh, sexy, and and we believe that in in Latin America there's still deep infrastructure pain points that have to be solved. So you're gonna find some uh, verticals that you know are not you know B two B payments or you know generative AI or crypto, which are typically the the hot uh, topics. And one example is investing in a founder who sought to digitize the chemical uh, supply chain, connecting petrochemical companies to uh, small, medium-sized transformers and ultimately creating a purely uh, software-enabled marketplace connecting producers with transformers, pretty much a transformer that buys plastic to make water bottles and to make phone cases and to make, uh, you know, chip semiconductors and to make uh, wheel tires. So, you know, that's an example of implementing technology and implementing, you know, efficiencies in, in workflow processes to make the purchasing experience of plastic pellets, as an example, which is a, you know, boring, uh, you know, chemical uh, and, you know, connecting buyers and, and suppliers. Uh, another example is digitizing the mom and pop pharmacy. We're investors in a company called Pharma that connects pharmaceutical companies with pharmacies. There's hundreds of thousands of pharmacies in Latin America, and they're an important driver of, of retail sales. And that's where people go and buy their, you know, pain uh, medicine or go and, you know, consult their um, neighborhood doctor. And again, digitizing the experience of the procurement process and the inventory management process for the pharmaceutical uh, or pharmacy uh, owners. And then for the pharmaceutical perspective, also having more data insights into what the end customer uh, is is buying. So, you know, unsexy pain point that is is sexy. And, you know, for the region, it's, uh, you know, creating a lot of... Uh, jobs and you know positive spillover effects yeah definitely definitely when people say procurement uh, you get this puzzled look and believe it or not i talked about plastic pellets in the podcast (laughs) before and uh, one of the episodes if anyone wants to go check it out is called what true innovation really looks like in emerging markets and um, any other ones you want to mention yeah, well, in, in the unsexy space, another one that that comes to mind is a company in our uh, Fund 2 portfolio called uh, Infloor. It's a bit sexier, but still, you know, helping, um, you know, underserved members or underserved categories of, 
of the economy. In this case, it's a service marketplace connecting uh, influencers with large brands. So ultimately, if you're an influencer and you're a small business and you want to, you know, open up the doors to post on your, you know, universal or meta, uh, let's say, client um, profiles, and they're looking to launch campaigns, you can connect to this platform, which is Asset Light, and get jobs, uh, you know, gig economy jobs, and, you know, make a living. And these influencers are making a great living through Influor. And ultimately, we also offer financial services because the, the brands take uh, a few weeks or, or months to, to pay. So, so that's another, you know, another use yeah. case. Uh, and yeah. what's what's the name again? Infor. How do you spell that for people to go and check it out? Infor. I N F L U uh, U R is the name, and I think the website is infor.com. Okay, I'll put all the links in the show notes so people can go and check it out. That, and yeah. So, what do you think that that happens? Latin America. I'm from Brazil originally. We have this very resourceful, creative nature. We um, had a guest in the, in the podcast saying we are entrepreneurs by nature. <laughs> and so what do you think that comes from? What, what makes the, the LATAM uh, entrepreneur resilient? Uh, you know, talking about, you know, the, the origins, you know, or, or DNA as, as, as Latin American folks, you know, Latin America has gone through through challenges throughout the you know the century, right? In in Colombia, for example, a lot of kidnapping back in the 1990s and 2000s, and uh, economic uh, hardship and uh, a lot of you know migration because of those situations. So you know people are just resilient and and fighters and you know that you know fight or flight mode on, and, and that makes them you know. Agile entrepreneurs, you know, I think very similar in countries like Brazil or, or Mexico. You know, we we've had, uh, you know, um, complicated uh, geopolitical tensions and you know uh, economic un unrest. So you know, people have to make a living, and 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 they are just you know creative folks. Also, um, you know, a lot of family businesses or, or like merchant activity. So definitely you know, that driver is, is, you know, is a key one. Yeah, no, having said all that, I totally agree. You know, we always had a turbulent dec few decades in Brazil economically. And I think through challenges, you build resilience and you build, uh, you use your entrepreneurial spirit. And in terms of this, let's say, like I mentioned, the non-sexy companies uh, finding funding, is that, Harder for them because I, to my, you know, to my knowledge, is much easier. Let's say if I'm building a digital wallet, or if I'm building a P2P payment system, it's very straightforward. I can just go and explain what it is. But something very niche like procurement, you don't get it straight away. How the how that would be a good business idea unless you have specific knowledge. So how does that work for them? And do they have to go to a company like yours, like H20, that has a more like open uh, mindset for this? I would say it's all based on who the founding team is. So, you know, in a pre-seed, you're betting on a, on a team. So if the founding team is AAA, 
serial entrepreneurs they're gonna get funding if if, if it's a, a a younger less experienced founding team well they're gonna struggle a bit uh, more in raising but you know sooner or later if they have the right you know team dynamics if they have you know the right um, business model and and if they're and if they've you know studied and and done their their market research and and have you know MVP customers and I'm thinking of a pre-seed or you know PowerPoint sales company they they will raise money sooner or later right uh, you know at at least that's that's the idea there there is funding in the in the region uh, I would say it is a glo- a global play though. You know, you're not only being compared to companies in LATAM, you're not only being compared to companies in the US, you're not only being compared to the next door fintech, you're being compared to global players. So if you're launching a new fintech or an unsexy business, whatever you're launching, and you're speaking to international funds like H20 or like other funds that have, you know, global operations, we get opportunities uh, globally. So we're going to compare you to the, you know, other counterparties. And I wouldn't say it's harder to raise in an unsexy space or easier than if you're raising for for software. But I would say that nowadays, after the, you know, 2021 hype, when, you know, VC landscape, as we know, has been more punishing, fundamentals and unit economics are really important. So if we're going to invest nowadays in a marketplace, it has to be an asset light marketplace with, you know, high gross margins and with a strong roadmap to positive unit economics. So we've started to see companies now that have, you know, positive unit economics since day one. And and that's what we want to see. So uh, it, it, it all depends on, again, who the team is, how much preparation there is in, in this uh, vertical and, you know, how palpable the opportunity looks. Uh, we love speaking to customers and, and referencing. And then again, global comparison. Ultimately, the best teams get funded and the ones that can show positive unit economics from the get-go or you know, more asset-like business models with less capital intensiveness, regardless of if it's a fintech or a non-sexy business, uh, mm-hmm. you know, there, there, there's a good shot for, for funding. Yeah, yeah. I see. So it's more to do with the team behind and how that would fare against like a a more global landscape. And that would be actually a good transition to my next question and the next topic, which is nearshoring. So why companies are choosing or move to Latin America and to stay on the same time zone as the US, whereas before China or India were you know, the hotspots for um, outsourcing. So why does why do you think that is happening here in Latin America? Yeah, so it, it all has to do with the, you know, macroeconomic and, and geopolitical uh, factors over the last uh, maybe three to four years. So the war with Ukraine is, is one, then the China-US uh, relationship is another one than Russia, where typically um, manufacturing was, uh, you know, made in China. Now those factories are moving to Vietnam or moving to India, and some are even moving to Mexico. So a lot of geopolitical tension. Also, during COVID, the supply chain disruption, right? You know, it was very hard to bring a fleet of 
you know, ship containers from China to the U.S. would, you know, cost a lot and it would take a lot of time. This is a factory that, you know, is less relevant today because, you know, the supply chains are, are, are back to normal. But uh, at least in Mexico, a lot of those new factories and suppliers are, are there to stay. So we've seen a lot of foreign direct investment in Mexico. A lot of our investors are Mexican. So we have seen the impact on, on their, you know, wallets. You know, investors that own industrial real estate in the northern borders are, you know, doing very well. And you see the capacity utilization of those industrial parks at, at full capacity. You see in a state like um, Nuevo León in Mexico, which is Monterrey, uh, more than 300 um, U.S. Uh, companies looking to incorporate uh, manufacturing operations locally. And, you know, a big a big example is Tesla that opened uh, a large factory, but Tesla is you know, one of the many players. I know another case of a company uh, called um, Bombardier that does private private jets and that does um, boats. Actually, they, they opened or are opening a uh, an operation also in in, in north, the northern part of Mexico, and ultimately more than more than the geopolitical tensions and more, more than the macro uh, headwinds, you know Americans want to be in the same time zone. So in Mexico, you're in the same or similar time zones. You want to you want to speak similar languages. So you know Mexicans are well equipped with you know English and Spanish, and ultimately nearshoring has actually existed in Mexico for more than thirty years. It's it's like a a hot uh, term now, but it's, it's been existing since, you know, the 1990s when the, the NAFTA treaty was signed between Mexico, U.S. and Canada. So it's been uh, an evolving, uh, you know, trend and Mexican factories are becoming very well equipped to deal with, you know, the U.S. Um, counterparty. And I would say it's here to stay. I would say, you know, U.S. Uh, vendors are looking to outsource more and more to Mexico. And uh, ultimately, this will, you know, continue to strengthen the Mexico economy and other, you know, LATAM economies. And for the U.S. vendor, you know, this will lead to more efficiencies and 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 more cost saving because Mexican factories are very competitive to factories in in China or other parts of the of the world. And that brings me to my next question, which is the expats, Latin American expats living in the U.S are choosing the U.S. to open their, their startups, to start their own businesses there. So why do, you, why do they still choose to stay in the U.S. instead of moving back to, let's say, Mexico or Colombia or their own country of origin? Why is the U.S. still relevant in that aspect? We see a lot of LATAM expats that go and do their MBAs in the U.S. and then want to stay in, in the U.S. And the reason, well, the first, the United States is still the largest, if not one of the largest economies in the world. So you have the opportunity to create a huge impact and to create a billion, multi-billion dollar business in any vertical you go into. And in most verticals, it's not a one, um, you know, size or, or, or market, uh, you know, fits all. That means mm-hmm. there can be three, four players that, that are big and, and relevant, right? The other component and uh, the one that I like to talk about 
this isn't really a reason of why to stay in the U.S., but it's a benefactor of having LATAM next to the U.S. If you're an entrepreneur building in the U.S., you're probably doing that build or living in the U.S. because you want to sell to U.S. enterprises or to U.S. customers, and you want to make your revenue in, in U.S. dollars, and you want to benefit from the huge market. But from the LATAM perspective or the synergy, you could outsource your back office. You could outsource your accountants. You could outsource your call centers. You could outsource your manufacturing. You could outsource some of your technology, um, uh, you know, uh, architecture to to LATAM and truly benefit from that cost uh, saving and, and efficiency. And you can see that in, in your PNL. So we have examples of companies like OnTop, which is a... Uh, fintech enabling global companies to hire and pay local contractors. That company was founded in Colombia. And fast forward two years, three years since inception, most of our revenue is in the US. Uh, so we opened an office in Miami and the, the founding team is here. And we leverage our back office teams in, in Colombia and, and in LATAM. Another company is Influor. Influor was founded by four female founders from Venezuela, and they live in Miami and they serve, you know, the U.S. Uh, enterprise companies with uh, LATAM and U.S. influencers. So, you know, leveraging in a, in a way, you know, service nearshoring. Um, I was actually speaking to my business partner the other day and uh, a company that we we looked at is leveraging, uh, this is a, a bank in the US, is leveraging uh, local LATAM talent. So you, you you also see that nearshoring not only on a physical good, but also on a service good. You know, outsourcing, you know, technology development to Mexico. So if you wanna find efficiencies and you know you have the capabilities of implementing that LATAM uh, front one way or another uh, into your US operation, uh, you, you you should definitely speak to us. We we are that bridge, you know, or that enabler to connect US uh, entrepreneurs or LATAM entrepreneurs that want to build in the US with our local LATAM know-how and relationships uh, that will definitely help in technology or in customer support or in accounting or other funds. Yeah, yeah. Which is I'm going to ask you now about your journey in H20, within H20. So you were the managing partner there. So how did you get involved with VC funding and a little bit of the history behind H20? I have a more um, unconventional story. I was not a founder uh, before or less of an operator. I've, I've always been a, an investor. Uh, however, I do have an entrepreneurial, um, you know, spirit or DNA. When I was uh, a little kid, you know, eight years old, I used to come on vacation in the U.S. and, and living in Colombia. I filled my, my luggage with candy, with Jolly Ranchers and with Hershey bars and with Nerds ropes. And I used to sell candy in the school bathroom and I used to make a killing. I used to make a killing. I bought my first Did laptop. you? Do people like it, the, the, yeah. the American candy? They loved it. And, and you couldn't find Jolly Ranchers or Nerds Ropes or any of that, you know, back in the, you know, mid-2000s in, in my city. So 
uh, I was a merchant, uh, and I have always been a merchant by by heart. Just you know, very good at uh, you know convincing someone to buy a, a good or service. And uh, that DNA, I think I get it from my family. We we've been um, a family of of generational entrepreneurs, uh, four or five generations. So it's it's really in my blood. And you know, when we uh, build H20, and this was in 2018. I had graduated from college in 2015. First three years after college, I worked for a corporate VC uh, affiliated to a Fortune 500 company. Uh, that was my first job. Uh, after that, we built H20, and everything tied back to how can we help the next generation of category-defining entrepreneurs build their their life's work. So you know, instead of us launching a specific startup, we told ourselves, listen, we love helping more entrepreneurs and, you know, uh, broad business models. Let's become investors and help many entrepreneurs build their life's work. And tying it back to the merchant story, you know, when I invest in a team, what gets me most excited after we make that decision is how can I help them close their first sale, whether it's an enterprise sale, you know, helping them connect with the first potential customer or the first MVP customer, or even how can I help this entrepreneur sign their first supply chain relationship or their first, uh, you know, relationship in any way that can impact their their sales or, or purchasing processes. So that excites me uh, a lot. And, um, you know, um, maybe in the future I will become an entrepreneur myself. Uh, so yeah. Well, maybe that is your entrepreneurial side coming out. And uh, yeah, and then you chose to focus in Latin America because, yeah, it's what what you know. And so thanks, Danielle. I think it was a very good overview from the VCs through a VC lens, through the VCs lens of funding and and innovation as well. And if anyone wants to check out. Yeah, so we, we have a website, h20capital.com. We, we have a LinkedIn. I have a, a Twitter uh, as well. Okay. So, yeah. so those are the, the best uh, three uh, sources to, to reach out. Yeah, definitely. And thank you so much. And if anyone wants to go check it out, h20, all the links are in show notes. And also don't forget to follow this podcast wherever you are listening to this podcast episode right now and go check out emergentmarkets.today for more news there's more content there about not just latin america but all emerging markets bricks everything and thank you Danielle. bye thank you Ana Paolo, for the time pleasure to be connected today for the opportunity